this is Will Hobson. Uh, welcome to the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. Uh, I'm joined with my co-host Pablo and our uh, guest today, uh, Dan Reed, uh, aka the Culinary Libertarian and host of the Eating Liberty Podcast. Uh, welcome uh, to the show, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, hey no problem. Um, yeah, today just wanted to uh, have you on to talk about um, some topics uh, involving uh, food and liberty and where they kind of intersect, any maybe interesting trends or developments in the last couple of years that you've been interested or you're following. Uh, since that's kind of the main angle of your podcast, maybe we could uh, you know, kind of get some highlights that you think uh, are important for people to know about. Um, uh, first of all, though, I wanted to ask kind of your background, um, uh, uh, kind of like who you are generally, as far as like what, you know, what you do with your, your time, what, uh, maybe uh, ex- whatever like relevant experience kind of made you want to start a, a podcast about food. Well, boy, there's a, there's, there's a, how much time is this show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In brief. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, I, I, I tease that I blame Tom Woods for making a podcast because he always says, make a podcast, make a newsletter, write a book, give stuff away for free. So I tried all that stuff. But the reason it's a food show mostly is that's kind of the thing I know the most about. I can, I can handyman okay, but I don't think that I can tell you how to handyman worth a darn. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't coach you on how to change the outlets in your house, but I do that at my house. So I do a food podcast because that's the thing I know about. And the liberty part, libertarian part, the politics part comes comes in in a lot of different ways. Some of the ways is fairly obvious through things like the Wholesome Meat Act. When the government gets involved in things, well, we already know. It just it turns out upside down and backwards. But there's less obvious ways, like eggs, the price of eggs. And now there's memes making jokes about <laughs> the... The Al Pacino Scarface, the cocaine has been replaced by stacks of dozens of eggs. It's a funny joke. It's not wrong, but it's a funny joke. So why? Well, the answer is complicated, but in some way, the government is involved in egg prices going up. Why is, how is the government involved? Because they have this very clever word for killing, culling maybe, but they're killing millions of chickens. Well, so basic economics opportunity for eggs is fewer so the prices go up so anyway uh there's also i know this is the long-winded answer but also the liberty part for food can be the nullification of government by growing a garden raising your own chickens Raise goats, raise pigs, you know, it gets, you kind of need a little bit more space. You need some skill and knowledge about how to do that, but those things are easy to obtain. So food and liberty becomes really relevant at a time when the government overlords are <laughs> threatening to take away your gas stove. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the USDA continues to have this, um, 
move uh, movement it's trying to make uh, internally, where it, it's trying to get uh, people to register community gardens. Uh, it's calling it the People's Garden Initiative, and um, I know they they specifically say not you know people's private you know gardens on, on private residences, but uh, yeah, stuff like that always I kind of find kind of creepy and uh, uh, an unnecessary thing. We probably don't want government creeping into even our community gardens um, and uh, creating a database of them. Uh, found that uh, I've always found that disturbing, but uh, uh, yeah. Are you, are you back, Dan? I, I, am I, am I back? I can hear you. Okay. Uh, I know what happened. All right. L- loud and clear, but uh, Dan, you're, you're covering such an interesting topic. The intersection of government interference in food supply has made Americans they, they they intended to make Americans healthy and um, productive, and the opposite has happened. Uh, the FDA food pyramid, I think there's sufficient evidence now to say the recommendations of reducing saturated fat and replacing that with carbohydrates and polyunsaturated fats has made America fat and sick. So just like the Federal Reserve has debased the currency, uh, I think the it's safe to say that, that uh, the scientism of the federal government's uh, – FDA recommendations have, have made Americans just really, really sick, which made the whole COVID outbreak, the risk of that, uh, maybe even more impactful because we know now that COVID also, uh, aside from targeting the elderly uh, or being at higher high risk for the elderly, if you are obese, uh, it, which is a preponderance of Americans, you're going to have complications from COVID. Um so I'm really fascinated by your topic. And, uh, well, are you guys still there? Yes. I just put myself on mute. Okay. Um, well, Pablo, there's, you're right. And I appreciate the phrase scientism because it really has become for most followers of the government. It is a religion. It is just, it's, it's it certainly is arguable. It'd be dumb to say it's inarguable, but that's not the purpose of the show. Uh, at least I don't think it is. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of things that have come into play at the same time, and the my the you you revealed something about your age, calling it my pyramid. They changed it to my plate, then changed the ideas. The ideas are still bad. Um, with heavy heavy carbs, focus on lots of grains nearly no meat, very little fats, and not the good fats. And that has impacted school lunch programs, which now also are school breakfast programs, and has processed highly, well, we have to be careful because I'm doing, I'm prepping for a show about processed foods, but we have to make a distinction because there are there's resistance against the phrase process. Well, beef is processed. So let's find. We'll call it highly processed food. Things that at once in their life used to be ingredients, but now they're not. Um, so the abundance, overabundance of food in packets that isn't actually food has, it's, and I'm, I'm reading about how it is actually for reals tailored on purpose engineered to act like a drug, affect your brain in the same place that addiction 
to drugs and tobacco and alcohol affects your brain, where not everybody has that, but a lot of people do. So you get this thing, it stimulates your brain, so I want more of it. They make it palatable, so it's easy to eat more of it. They make it cheap and affordable, so it's easy to buy more of it, to eat more of it. Now you're just a fat bitch, and now we have a problem. Uh, and if you go... Yeah. Just one, one, one term that I, I've come across in my, uh, my professional life uh, when it comes to pack consumer packaged <clears throat> goods, food products, is that of hyperpalatability. I think that describes Ooh. what you were talking about. That that the the flavors of Skittles, for example, are 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 optimized so that you could eat an entire one pound bag of Skittles and never be satiated. You that that's harder to do with like a, a rosemary cracker or um, you know food that is actually real and not made in the lab that isn't designed to be highly consumed and non. Hyperpalatable. That's I like that phrase. I'm going to steal that phrase. So. Um, Stephen Kinsella would be proud. Um, that's true. I think that that's right. And and as I'm listening and reading more about this, it it's just there's so many parts that are impacted. So so we have. We, I talk a lot about. Uh, an ancestral diet, which in part means the kind of foods that, say, grandma back in 19, let's make it 100 years, in 1920 would have eaten. Now, in America, that gets a bit dicey because we had some economic troubles and food wasn't always available, but we'll forget about that part for a minute because that just complicates the story. What grandma didn't have, was massive amounts of factories, and I'm not going to. This isn't to bang on factories. This isn't to bang on on innovation and capitalism. This is to make the point that how life was isn't how life is, and in some ways, that's a really good thing. It has humanity has benefited tremendously by the innovations of the last hundred years. However, we've also become extraordinarily lazy. We don't have to go out and labor to cut down a tree, to split it for wood, to light the stove, to cook the breakfast. Just flip a switch. That's cool. So the trade-offs are through the innovation that humans do, we have afforded ourselves great opportunities to eat in excess Things that aren't food that aren't so anyway. Um, so if we go back to what Grandma ate, she ate food that she raised. She ate food that the neighbors raised, but it was food. It's stuff that you had to do something with. You had to go to the ground and till the ground and grow the vegetables, grow the fruits. You had to learn how to cook them and can them and process them and hold them for the winter when you couldn't have vegetables. And that doesn't exist now. We have worldwide shipping. You can get asparagus in the middle of January, and you shouldn't be able to do that. Well, shouldn't. That's a judgment call. Anyway, um, at the... Hyper, I like the phrase, hyperpalatability of the food has stripped out things like nutrients. It's nutrient deficient. There's nothing there. So when, when illness comes from your sedentary lifestyle, when you don't do anything, when your mitochondria are over, uh, underworked and overstuffed from crap in your body, 
getting sick and, and being being made sick become easy to do. And so your observation, I think, is, is correct. And I think there's plenty of doctors around the world who have verified that if you are metab metabolically well, most Americans, I, I, I don't know about the world, but let's stick with America. Most Americans are not metabolically well, then you can handle an infection. You can handle a virus. You can handle bacteria with a minimum of problems. But that requires eating f f food that is actually food and consuming food that has sufficient amount of nutrients, getting your butt outside to get vitamin D, taking supplements in the winter because you even, you know, we are here in Oregon, we can, <laughs> not today, have sun, but even in the wintertime, I've heard people say that you don't, even fully outside eight hours, the distance is too far it's extra three million miles seems to make a difference that you don't get enough sunlight to get vitamin D like you would in the spring, some spring and summer. So take a supplement. All of those things together, and it's a complicated web of things together, make a person metabolically well. Mitochondria become efficient and that contributes to your metabolic health. Yeah. And, you know, another uh, positive development, uh, I don't know if you know, do you know Sonia Fintech in the Liberty? I do not. No, I don't. She uh, is running something called the uh, Oregon Liberty uh, Network. And uh, she uh, is also, I, I don't know if she owns it or if she's one of the partners in uh, Helios Farms. Uh, and uh, they're a, a really, a really cool... Uh, I forget what the word that they use for it, but it's very regenerative powerful. biodynamic farm. Thank you. Regenerative biodynamic. Uh, yeah. Farming and trying to do milk shares and trying to get them delivered up into Portland. And uh, I think they're also raising meat and they're, yeah, they are, it's a very, very crunchy, uh, huh. <laughs> uh, you know, like kind of like old school Portland trying to, trying to base anti-authoritarian kind of like food distribution network. And uh, she's doing some really cool work with that. Um, she might be an interesting guest to have on your podcast. I would, uh, if we if we're doing some networking right now, I, I would highly recommend getting, uh, getting in touch with her and I can get your, get you her contact information if you're interested. I'm definitely interested. That sounds that you, I'm, in my head, when you said uh, granola, I immediately went to Ann Arbor because uh, I'm a Michigan guy. But, you know, I think Portland and Ann Arbor in some ways are very similar, certainly in the crunchy granola aspect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe not anymore, but uh, um, that's that's the kind of thing. So when I was talking about homesteading, homesteading doesn't know homesteading sort of means like it's. Than the, the means what the name says it means, but there's ways. Um, there's the the raw milk council and Mark. I can't remember. Uh, I'm gonna get his name wrong. Uh, I spoke with him about raw milk in California, and they're they're a pretty big outfit. And I think it's still the case. We'll see if I don't know that there's an interest in changing the raw milk rules in Oregon. If, if there is an interest, I'd like the interest to be take any restriction away. And the only restriction is if you don't want it, 
don't buy it, but don't make it hard for people who want it. Right now, I think you can, I think it's county to county, which is fine. Um, if in your county you want it, you can go find the grower, uh, the, the farmer, the rancher, and get raw milk from that person. And that's fine. In Klamath, I can do that. Um, but having, having people who know how to farm and sell to people who want to buy, that's food liberty. And it's when the government gets in the way of saying, you know, the overlord making the choice for you, you, you can't say, <laughs> well, that's, that's not, that's not liberty. That's not a freedom. Telling me I can't do something isn't, that, that isn't the land of the free home of the brave. That's the land of the overlords. And I don't know what the other part is, but it's, it, it, no, I think it's the productization of, of food is another thing that's happening. You mentioned Stevens and Kinsella. Like, I just think about intellectual property and just the way that um, Beyond Meat, for example, um, is basically canola oil with uh, plant proteins that can be patented and produced in a factory at high margins. And it is intensely profitable. Same thing with all processed foods. Very profitable, shelf-stable, like um, – Butter is more expensive than canola oil, and therefore it is therefore it's used in restaurants because of the economics of it. Uh, and you mentioned raw milk. Uh, my red pill into food freedom. My the first inkling I knew that something was going on was in early Janu in early 2010. I was living in Southern California, uh, in Venice Beach, and the FDA raided a hippie raw food co-op that sold raw goat's milk, sheep's milk, and camel's milk. Uh, with their guns drawn because someone somewhere might get sick according to the FDA. Uh, th that to me is a really good example of, of like where the Liberty movement and like people who want to eat what they want to eat. Uh, I think uh, Dumpert wrote a book about th about those. It, it, it covered several things, but included, and I forgot there was two guys Two, two men in business together and, and they were both raw guys all the way. And then, yeah, um, and this, the book includes uh, the Amish farmer and I forgot his name. He's going to court again. Um, and, and just a, a, a chef wanted to serve her patrons at her farm at the, you know, it was an out beautiful summer night. She had this table set up outside. They crashed in and they took it all. But she can't serve them the meat that she raised because somehow it doesn't have, because it doesn't have the government blessing, it is, it is unfit to consume. Well, it's just idiotic. Is so this Amos there? Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to know, um, it, it, are there any uh, trends in the Liberty food space that uh, you're super interested in? I know you probably have had lots and lots of guests on your show. Are, are, are there any particular uh, organizations or initiatives that you're following that are uh, kind of popping out at you as uh, more important than others? Or Man, well, that's a loaded question because someone's going to say, well, you missed that. Um I'm sure that there are, and I, I, I don't know how to keep up with all of them, um, but what is a, a spectacular resource, and they have a podcast, and I listen to it, it's like I listen to too many to keep up with, um, the Weston A. Price Foundation, they have a podcast, the name of which, um, because they want to be remembered, of course I cannot, 
Um, but they, they, the, the main thing that is of interest to me, and I think it's of interest to a lot of people because we've been talking a little bit about things that aren't food. I think what's becoming really interesting to all people is things that are food. Um, so butter instead of canola oil or coconut fat, which is minimally processed, but certainly much less processed than canola oil or trying to get oil out of a corn kernel. Um, finding ways back to real food because the the fake stuff, stuff that comes in packets, you know, the good food comes in packets too, but we, we, we sort of know what we mean. I think we know what we mean. Um, things that, food that is as close to its form as was found in nature. So an apple is better than the applesauce in aisle nine. Same for the orange is better than the orange juice because you have to do something that came off the tree like that and it went, you know, it went a few miles and so there's a complaint that everyone's going to have a complaint about Sunday. Well, that traveled too far. It's not safe. It's too much gasoline. Oh, shut up. Um, the, the orange juice traveled far too. In fact, the orange juice probably came from Indonesia or Brazil or a combination of places. And none of them includes California or Florida. So eat the California orange and at least support your country. That's <laughs> your Patriot moment. So the, there's, there's an interest, I think, in lots of people figuring out that how you eat and what you eat without even doing exercise. Exercise is important. You And, and that doesn't mean go spend four hours. You're not trying to become a, a Mr. Olympia or Miss Olympia. You're not trying to be a bodybuilder. Exercise is important because it does things that are beneficial to the mitochondria. Now, you may not see the exercise impact your waistline, and that's the reason you think you want to do exercise. But the exercise cleans out the blood, cleans out the gunk, and cleaning out the gunk is a good thing. Uh, so I, I think the uh, podcast you were talking about was called Wise Traditions. That's the one. You got okay. it. Yeah. Thank it's, you for uh, looking yeah, Weston, at that. Yeah, it's at westonaprice.org. <laughs> And yeah, this looks like a cool website. I'll have to keep checking it out. Dan, for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with the Weston A. Price Foundation, I feel like they're natural allies to the liberty movement. Um, could you I give think us like that's a, right. a thumbnail uh, sketch of what they are? Because they are, especially in the COVID era. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, again, I'm going to, someone's going to say, well, you missed something and I got something wrong. And that's probably true. Uh, Dr. Price investigated nutrition back when it wasn't even cool to do so and figured out that what I was just saying, that the food from that granny ate in 1910, 1800, 1890, and 1920 was, was a better quality food, and that part's true probably, but, the, but eating wholesome food, food as close to it, its source in nature as possible, was a better way to live. Better now, better. What does better mean? It's it contaminates your blood less. Because fr frankly, when you're eating the garbage in the packets, the things we're talking about not eating, what's happening is you're contaminating your blood. You're contaminating your gut, micro, gut microbiome, which is a hard thing to say, and becoming an important area of interest and study. All of those things, when you eat canola oil, 
Canola oil has, in that alone, um, safflower, sunflower, corn, any of those so-called vegetable oils, well, they have a very low level of rancidity, which means at physiological temperatures, like the human body, they can go rancid fast. There's a good chance it's rancid in the bottle, and it's a good chance your whole life you've eaten rancid oil just didn't know it because you never had it any other way. So that rancidity is a toxicity, and that toxicity builds up. And, and that leads to obesity and other kinds of, you know, this is this becoming the theme, metabolic issues. And if you have metabolic issues, if you're metabolically compromised, you become sick fast. You become unwell fast. You feel groggy. You wake up, oh my God, I need another 10 hours of sleep. These have become chronic conditions and it it sounds like a simple thing to do, the solution is change your diet. Stop eating the things that made you unwell. Now, this is where we get into this really complicated, well, the doctor said. I'm sure that that's true. The doctor had two weeks of nutrition class at school, and the nutrition class consisted of following what the MyPlate scheme was, what the USDA said to do, and now we're going to move on to surgery. Doctors don't know a damn thing about nutrition. You've actually got to go and <laughs> they have to go and take classes on actual nutrition because they just parrot what they're told to say and they move on. They don't know anything. So yeah. it, it becomes, it sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory. No, How could I, it be that medical degrees don't produce people who know what's best for the human body? But it's true. They do. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just got back yesterday from a uh, my doctor's uh, office. I had been doing some blood labs, but my my primary care physician is a uh, is a naturopath, and I, I will say for him at least, the conversation was almost entirely about nutrition and and exercise. And um, I apparently I have you know just letting everyone know. I have really high cholesterol uh, or at least triglycerides. So uh, my, but my doctor wasn't like, Oh, you got to take this medicine, you know, like, Oh, there's not much we can do. Like he, he said like, no, like here's some very reasonable uh, dietary changes that I would add that will help get this down. You're otherwise healthy in these, all these other areas. Um, you know, like you should, you know, go after, you know, you should start taking some uh, fish oil supplements because, you know, that will, you know, it, you know, it'll help with your cholesterol, you know, like walnut oil, you know, you know, some more regular exercise, you know, sleeping at, you know, a, you know, setting kind of like a bedtime each night to, to like go to bed. So I, my circadian rhythms kind of start to stabilize. Um, it all sounded like, like, shouldn't, our regular like corporate medicine doctors be telling us this too. Like, but like, I guess there's no, because there's no like real profit incentive. Maybe they're not like, I, it, I mean, I'm a good capitalist and all that, but um, also when it comes to my health, I, 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 you know, like how do we, I guess, make it profitable to keep people healthy? <laughs> I, I, I don't think it well, is. I, maybe maybe that's a perverse incentive of the current structure that we have. And I don't think it has to be a conspiracy theory to say that there are unplanned consequences from just decisions and every intervention requires another intervention that isn't optimized. Well, you know, there's a book and I've, I'm in, 
I don't know. I mean, I have so many, too many resources. Somebody wrote a book about Rockefeller getting involved in the medical schools. And it's a pretty impressive book. I've read part of it. I haven't gotten through it all. But the argument is that when Rockefeller got involved in the medical schools, he changed, they, they used to teach holistic medicine. He got involved because he wanted to create take a pill plans, keep people sick, feed them a pill. Let's make money that way. So there is a lot to be said from a cash standpoint of keeping everybody sick and feeding them pills, making them buy the pills. It's kind of like Gillette. Give them the blade, sell them the razor. Well, give them the razor, sell them the blades. I got it backwards. I think there is. So the first question to ask if. Where is the incentive for spending the cash? That's to give it to the government. If people were well and had extra cash instead of buying medicine, what if they went out and bought a ski weekend at Mount Shasta or Mount Hood or Stowe? What if they went out and had took a vacation to Yosemite or took a vacation to Disney? If they're spending the cash in a place that the government can't actually get at it too easily, they can't keep the monopoly, well, now that's a real risk. Mm -hmm. Because now the overlords don't have control over every aspect of your life. They may, those people might realize they don't need us. So there's other things to do with your cash, except they're not going to let you do that. Now, that sounds absurd. Yeah. Is the book called Rockefeller Medicine Men? Uh, I'll have to look for it. Okay. I was just trying to look up what what you said. uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, this clinic I'm going to is a a subscription-based one. So I guess they're they're incentivized to keep me well because if I'm alive, I'm continuing to pay the the subscription. Right. So well, those, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the dock in a box thing, which isn't exactly what that is. It was coined, I think, for a different phrase. But it's the same idea that these salon style subscription services are generally superior to corporate medicine. And I think it was it Dr. Atlas who sort of invented that idea a few years ago. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it's definitely working. And, I, and I've been talking to my, my doctor there and he says like, yeah, we're hiring, you know, more, you know, uh, naturopaths We're hiring more doctors. We're trying to get, we're trying to build out the, our building to get a little bit bigger. Um, it's in Canby. Uh, in, in fact, I, you know, what? I can probably say the name of it. It's the Canby clinic and it's really awesome. And it's actually worth like driving out there to go to They're uh, they're very based, uh, I'll put it that way, uh, medical facility. And, um, yeah, they are and apparently a uh, can be, I just found out yesterday too. can be actually has four naturopath clinics in it in this tiny satellite community of like the Portland Metro area. So I'm probably, it's probably going to be a future podcast where we kind of dig into why that is. And I, I would love to like talk to maybe some Oregon naturopaths and, you know, kind of pick their brain about what it's been like the last few years. But, uh, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, that's, um, yeah, medicine is, uh, definitely a, uh, uh, as far as food goes is, uh, 
is definitely a close cousin. So very interesting. Um, um, just a point to make here. You mentioned naturopaths, which makes me talk about think about uh, Murray Rothbard in his lectures on the Progressive Era uh, talks about the movement and the capture, the regulatory capture. Because remember, progressives they don't like small, they don't like this, they don't like local. They want national, scientific, industrial scope of management. And in terms of professionalizing uh, medicine, they uh, in- instituted cartels like the American Medical Association. And the American Medical Association's history is one of allopathic me- medicine. Allopathy, which is contrasted to naturopathy, is uh, treatment of disease and illness through chemicals, through prescriptions, through pharmaceuticals. So w- when our, the mainstream uh, medicine today is allopathic medicine versus what you're going to will, which is naturopathic medicine. So uh, Rothbard has this lecture. It, it's on um, it's on YouTube somewhere. So if you, you Google uh, Rothbard Progressive Lectures, you, you'll, you'll get it, and you'll get a, a history of that. And he also talks about milk and how milk was also controlled by the milk board, who uh, changed the way milk was passaged, uh, packaged. It used to be uh, loose milk, uh, but there was sort of this germ theory put out there about that being a vector for disease. So uh, milk packaging became a thing. Because then it could be regulated by the milk board. So uh, fascinating stuff. It's almost like everything government touches, it fucks up in some way. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to be good at something, be really, really good at it. Yeah, yeah, government's pretty good at that. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I think we're kind of getting towards the end here. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely... Um, I definitely uh, want to say uh, I'm very glad, Dan, that you're uh, an Oregon Liberty content co- uh, creator, uh, and I'm very glad to have you. I, would you say that you're a member of the Libertarian Party of Oregon, or do you want to? Are you more of a small L libertarian? I I am unaffiliated to everything, so I'm small L. Okay. Well, if you are interested, we are having a convention in May, um, and you're uh, very welcome to come up uh, there and uh, maybe do some interviews if you're uh, interested in talking to other liberty-loving people. I think me and Pablo are both very interested in making the Libertarian Party uh, a very open tent for people that love liberty and want to uh, network with other other people. we would definitely want to kindly invite you to to join uh, the yeah the convention. It's going to be May twenty eighth in that's uh, a uh, Memorial Day weekend in uh, Tigard. Uh, so if you're if you're curious, want to check it out, we'd love to have you. But um, but either way though, even if you don't, very very glad to that you're an Oregon Libertarian creating great content uh, and you have been for years. So thank you very much for that. Well, you're welcome for that. So, so yeah. Uh, did you want to go ahead and uh, throw out a uh, you know, place where people can go to follow you and listen to your uh, your podcast? Uh, yeah, I'm in, engaged on Twitter a little bit, um, and all the handles are on the um, show notes page because I, I have the podcast and the blog, but it's the the shows and access to social media is all easily found at culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts. And everything's there, including scroll way, way down, and you find 
both times Will's been on the show. Yeah. I was yep. trying to find those show numbers and I, you, you said you didn't want to, uh, move out of the, uh, phone to try something else, but I didn't do that. And so <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's hard to search titles on the desktop. So I couldn't figure out what the episode number was. Well, I, I know it was like February, uh, 2021 and like March, 2021 were the two shows I, or were the time period I, that I did. So if you scroll down that way, uh, eventually you'll probably find them. So, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you for yeah coming on, Dan. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, love chatting about this subject. Uh, I I hope that we continue to kind of grow the liberty movement in Oregon, and uh, our food becomes less uh, or sorry more decentralized and under our own control, and probably better for us. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. We will have to talk again. This we only scratched the surface. There is so much more to do here. I, I oh, think we can easily so go 10, 10 episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, th there is a lot. And actually, and um, I, I might, it depends on how far down this rabbit hole I go. But one of the, uh, the episodes I want to do soon is about this engineered, on purpose, addictive food. Uh, and I found a podcast I just finished earlier today. And she was like, oh, my God, this is this woman is so smart. So there's a lot to it. And there's a lot more. There, there's a lot to it and a lot of things we don't even understand that go into play. So it's, it's it's a fascinating topic. And it just got more fascinating as I was learning more about it. So that's kind of cool. Well, great. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be looking for that. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Dan. And uh, we'll talk to everyone again soon. Uh, cheers.